0: Good morning, everybody. This morning's reading will be out of Judges 10, verses 10 to 18. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Manites oppressed you? And you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel cried to the Lord. We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the the leaders of Gilead, said one to another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead.
1: Well, good morning. Um, This morning, our focus will be Judges 11, Judges chapter 11. And David Mathis, he said this about the book of Judges. The book of Judges, what a mess. The book of Judges, what a mess. It starts bad, gets worse and worse, and ends so poorly that it's awkward to read in public. That's the book of Judges. That's the book that we've got before us this morning. And often when you come to the books, when you come to the passages of this book, they're kind of like a warning sign to us. And when you see warning signs, warning signs aren't fun to look at, are they? They're not that fun to look at. But you are glad that they are there. And so the book of Judges often week after week will function as a warning sign to us and sometimes that will be hard for us to look at, but man, we are glad that it is there because it is God's grace warning us and helping us. So I'm going to pray and this morning the book of Judges doesn't get any better, it gets worse. So let's pray. Lord, we pray. That as we look at this difficult account of Jephthah's life, Lord, we ask that you would give us the wisdom, discernment, grace that we need to hear your word and respond to it as you would have us do. And so, Lord, we ask that we would be people who seek to honor you, worship you, and praise you. And again, Lord, I pray that we would not seek to stand over the word, but we would seek to sit under it this morning. Teach us, Lord, we pray, in your precious and wonderful name, I pray all these things. Amen. We're going to look at Jephthah's account this morning. And what Jephthah does is he makes a foolish promise. And so what I want to do this morning is actually take you straight to the promise that he makes. It is a promise. It is an oath. It is a vow that he makes to the Lord. And it is a foolish one. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. Let me take you straight there to the promise that he makes. Chapter 11, verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering so Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them and the Lord gave them into his hand Jephthah made this promise to the Lord Lord I'm gonna fight this fight and this battle but Lord if you give me this victory in this battle then when I get home whatever greets me Lord In the door, when I get home, whatever greets me, I will offer as a burnt offering and sacrifice to you, Lord. Whatever meets me at the door. That was a foolish thing to say. Do you know why it was a foolish thing to say? Because do you know who greeted him at the door when he came back from the battle? His one and only daughter. Lord, if you give me this battle, if you give me this victory, then whoever or whatever greets me at the door when I return, I will offer to you as a burnt offering, and it is his daughter who meets him. That is a foolish thing for him to say. We are much like him maybe we wouldn't make such a foolish statement but there's a lot of foolish statements that go along around in this world isn't there a lot of foolish statements that we will make and we will say I don't know if you've been scrolling through you know your social media feeds recently or whatever but as you scroll through them often there are times you might see even Christians you might see comments and statements and you ask the question why on earth did they say that? That is a foolish thing to say. You see, what happens to us online is this. We make comments for about 10% of the people that follow us, and we forget the other 90% of the people that also follow us. And so what happens is, in our statements, we're not all that careful. And by the way, here's just a sideline. What I would say for Christians is this. Let us be those who on social media and on those platforms speak life there, not speak foolishness, that we would not see it as a platform to give out, but we would see it as a platform to point people to our saviour. And often what happens is we get caught up saying foolish things. We see people say foolish things. We say, why did they say that? And that happens in my life as well. Why on earth did I say that? Do you ever ask that question of yourself? Why on earth did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. And that's the question I want us to ask of Jephthah's promise. Why on earth? Did he say it? And that's how we're going to tackle it this morning. We're going to ask a few questions to, to try and see and try and make sense of this promise. Whatever comes out of the door, I will offer it to you. Can you imagine that? You're at work and you're trying to finish a project, you try and finish the project, Lord, help me finish this project. And if you help me finish this project, then when I get home, whatever greets me at the door, I'm going to offer it as a burnt offering to you. Foolish, right? But what he says is absolute foolishness. And so we have to ask, why on earth does Jephthah make this promise? Whatever greets me as the door, I'm going to offer to you. And in order to find out the why, we have to look at the start of Jephthah's account and his story. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. There's no surprise that it starts off like that. God's people have an enemy. The enemy are named Ammon. And they need to fight this enemy. But in order to fight this enemy, they need a leader. And in chapter 11, verse 1, we hear of Jephthah, a Gileadite, a mighty warrior. He steps in. Could he be the leader? Just like Gideon. Gideon was called the mighty man of valor. Could this man, Jephthah, be the leader? Could this man, Jephthah, be the warrior that they need? But it says, he was the son of a prostitute. It looks all great that they've found this mighty warrior, Jephthah. But there is a problem with Jephthah. Jephthah is the son of a prostitute. In other words, Jephthah is an outcast. And so in response to this illegitimate outcast, his, his, his brothers, those who are related to him, they kick him out and they don't want him to get the inheritance. He is a rejected man. And I think this is the first clue as to why Jephthah makes the foolish promise that Jephthah makes, because Jephthah is one who has experienced rejection. And Jephthah does not want to experience rejection again. And so he will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to beat the Ammonites. And so he is rejected. He is kicked out of the land. And then they realize, the brothers who have kicked him out of the land, they realize we're not going to win against these Ammonites. So we need this mighty warrior back. And so it says to us in verse 4, after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be be our head over all the inheritance of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him lead, head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Why did Jephthah make the foolish promise, Lord, if you help me beat the Ammonites, then whatever comes out of the door, I will offer as a sacrifice to you. Because Jephthah needed to win. Jephthah didn't want to be rejected again. The only reason they wanted Jephthah back is because they thought Jephthah could win the battle for them. That is the only reason they come back to him. And so Jephthah says to them, Oh, you come back to me now? Because you want something from me? Before, you didn't want me to get the inheritance, so you kicked me out. But now that you know that you're not going to win the battle, you want me back? Jephthah is a man who has experienced rejection And he hated it. And he will do whatever it takes not to be rejected again. There is something I think in life that Christians need to get used to. And it is this. We will be rejected. We will be outcasted in this world. We won't be liked in this world and so the temptation can be I don't want to be rejected so I will do and say whatever it takes in order for me not to be rejected again I will do and say whatever it takes in order for me to have the success I need in this world so that I will not be rejected again when I've been thinking about rejection For us as Christians, my mind went again to this event on Friday night. I was trying to figure out a way to put it into the sermon. Here it is. (laughs) This event on Friday night. I've been encouraging, haven't I? Invite people, invite people, invite people. And so it has really encouraged me when I hear of others saying, I'm bringing the flyers to work. I'm going to go around to my neighbors and I'm going to put it through the doors. Just people being bold with their faith and, 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 and spreading out about this event that we're going to have on Friday night. And then I started to think to myself, well, Shane, if you're going to ask them to do it, you better do it. So then this thing started to come into my head. I was like, okay, I've got to invite people now because I'm telling everybody else to invite people. So I've got to invite people. So then this thing starts going in my head. Who am I going to invite? So I start thinking about the people that I'm going to invite. And then I start thinking about their responses to the invitation. Now, I haven't invited them yet. I haven't asked them yet. But I'm already running through my head. What are they going to say if I invite them? And do you know what it boils down to? Do you know what I'm scared of and afraid of, if I'm honest? I don't like rejection. There's sometimes in my Christian life that I just want to feel normal. I just want to fit in with everybody else. I just want to trust Jesus, live a quiet life, not cause too much trouble and get to heaven. But the reality is that's not what we're promised in this world we are going to face rejection why because our Savior the Lord Jesus he too was rejected he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows the outcast of outcasts therefore those who follow him should expect rejection also and so we need to be careful that we don't um, do everything we can in this world to avoid rejection, because if we do that, it will lead to compromise. And this is one of the reasons, I think, Jephthah makes this promise, because Jephthah doesn't want to be rejected again. His rejection, he's feared of his rejection. Another reason why Jephthah makes this foolish promise, I think, is his ambition. Jephthah has the ambition to lead. And you see this right the way throughout the book. Gideon says, I don't want to rule over you. The Lord will have to rule over you. But then Gideon calls his son Abimelech, which means my dad is king. Guess who wanted to rule and be king? Gideon. And then we saw Abimelech in his life, And what did he want? He tries to kill all his 70 brothers. Why? So that Abimelech could be the leader and the king. And for Jephthah, when he sees the chance for power and leadership, Jephthah wants to take it. And Jephthah will do whatever it takes in order to lead. I want you to notice, and you're going to have to follow me here. I want you to notice in verse 11, it says chapter 11 verse 11 it says this so jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them and jephthah spoke all his words before the lord at mizpah they made him the head and the leader this is the position that he wants Now, I want you to go back. Again, you're going to have to follow me here. I want you to go back to chapter 10, verse 18. At the end of chapter 10, verse 18, here's what it says. And the people, the leaders of Gilead said to one another, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So they're looking for a person who is going to be the head of all the inhabitants. And then they go and they chat to Jephthah. And they chat to Jephthah, and they don't ask Jephthah first to be the head. In verse 6, it says this: And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. And Jephthah hears that: You want me to be your leader? It's like, You kicked me out. Now you want me back to just be your leader? And then they say, oh, wait wait a second, wait a second. Verse 8, it says this. Then they respond, and the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. They wanted someone to be their head. They come to Jephthah and they say, be our leader. Then they change their mind and say, be our head. And then at the end of the account, they make him the head and the leader what on earth are you talking about it is like this they need a manager but they're asking him to be the supervisor they need a captain but they're asking him to be the vice-captain and in the end he becomes both the manager and the supervisor he becomes both the captain and the vice-captain And that is the leadership role that Jephthah loves and Jephthah does not want to lose it. And so in his ambition, he will make whatever promise he needs to make in order to keep his position. Lord, if I win this battle, Lord, I will sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed if you give this battle to me. It is his ambition drives him. And I think that is something we need to be careful of. Our ambition. That our ambition doesn't drive us in our life. Dave Harvey said this of ambition. Ambition is prizing something so much that we go after it and are willing to sacrifice anything to get it. Ambition is something that we prize so much that we go after it and we're willing to sacrifice anything to get it. Now there is a type of ambition, I think, that is a good ambition. It is like Paul's ambition in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, Paul said this, I make it my ambition to preach Christ where he has not been named. If you want a good ambition, that is a good ambition. That is the type of ambition I want this church to have. That we would have an ambition that no matter what happens, Christ would be named where he has not been named. That we, as a small little church, in a small little town, would have the ambition to send other people out to other nations where Christ has not been named. That would be a great and glorious ambition. And no, not all of us are called to go and do that. But here's what some of us might be called to do. Some of us might be called to stay and work hard and give all of the resources we can so that we can send someone else from one nippy class if there was someone from this church, from this congregation who went to a nation where Christ has not been named. That would be glorious. And sometimes what happens is people get excited about another nation, maybe a dangerous nation, and so we kind of calm them down and say, oh, you know what? You can share Christ here. Don't worry, you don't have to go over there. No! If someone wants to go over there, what I want us to do is send them. That would be a great and good ambition for this church. So there are good ambitions, but there are also bad ambitions, aren't there? They're bad ambitions. Sometimes in our workplace, we want the highest position we can get at the highest pay we can get. And so we have that ambition, and sometimes because we have that ambition, we will do whatever it takes, say whatever it takes, make whatever promises we need to make in order to get that position. That would be a bad ambition. There's other ambitions that we can have. Maybe ambitions in the church. Maybe we want this church to go the way we want it to go. And so I will do whatever it takes. I will say whatever it takes in order for me to get my way. We need to be careful of our ambition. And Jephthah is not careful of his ambition. Lord, if you give me this fight, I will sacrifice whatever greets me. Just give me this battle. And so Jephthah has a battle on his hands. He's going to fight against the Ammonites. Except he doesn't begin the fight against the Ammonites with his fists or with a sword or whatever. He begins the fight with the Ammonites with his mouth. Do you know why he begins the fight with his mouth? Because Jephthah's name means open mouth. Basically, Jephthah's a big mouth. He talks a lot. He talks a lot. And so throughout this chapter, you are going to see Mr. Open Mouth, Mr. Big Mouth talking a lot. And so he comes to the Ammonites and he comes not with a sword. He comes first to them with a word and he asked them he talks there's this big long conversation from verses 12 down all the way down to verse 28 and i'm not going to rehash all this conversation with you but i just want to show you two pieces of the conversation the beginning of the conversation and the end of the conversation Jephthah opens up his mouth. In verse 12, Mr. Open Mouth opens his mouth. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? He comes to the king of the Ammon and says, "What, What do you have against us? Why are you fighting us? Why are you doing this? And so the king replies back to them, You have taken, back to him, you have taken our land. That is why we are against you. That is why we want to fight against you, because you have taken our land. And then for the rest of the verses, for the rest of the verses, Jephthah opens up his mouth and he makes an argument to say, we did not take your land. So then we don't need to fight. That's basically what the fight is you've taken our land we didn't take your land and so that so then you come to the conclusion of the negotiation of the talks the conclusion is in verse 27 it says this I therefore have not sinned against you Jephthah said and you do me wrong by making warn me the Lord the judge decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon but The king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. So, because he does not listen, the talk is over. The talk is over. It is now time to fight. And Jephthah knows if we fight, I'm probably going to lose. That's why he has all this big, long conversation. That's his strategy. I'm, I'm good with words, I think. So I'm going to have this conversation, have this negotiation. Now I need to fight. And he thinks he is going to lose. So he makes the promise. Lord, if you give us this battle, if you give us this battle, whatever greets me at the door, I will sacrifice to you. And so then the second question is not why did Jephthah make the promise because of his rejection and his ambition. But did Jephthah need to make that promise? Did Jephthah need to say to the Lord, Lord, whatever greets me, I'm going to offer as a burnt offering. Did he need to say that? And my answer to that question is no. Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead and from Mishpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And then he makes his promise. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and then he makes his promise. And this is what confuses everybody. <laughs> this is what confuses Everybody. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon him. And then immediately after the Spirit of God comes upon him, he says he's going to offer a sacrifice and he says something foolish? That doesn't make sense. But what you need to remember about how the Spirit of God works, especially in the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God especially comes upon a person for a particular task, what we need to remember about the Spirit of God is this. That the Spirit of God came upon people in the Old Testament as a sign of God's power and not as a sign of the people's perfection. Let me say that again. The Spirit of God came upon people as a sign of God's power and not a sign of the people's perfection. And so what that means is just because the Spirit of God comes upon Jephthah, it doesn't mean that everything he does from that moment on is perfect. Just like us, we have the Spirit of God. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, the Spirit of God indwells you. Does that mean that your life is perfect from there on out? No. No. The Spirit of God dwelling upon him is a sign of God's power and not a sign of his perfection. And what I will say to you is this. If he didn't make the vow, I believe he still would have won. It's despite the vow that the Lord gives him the victory, not because of it. And so the last time we heard that the Spirit of God came upon someone in the book of Judges was who? Can anyone remember? Well, I won't ask that because it's embarrassing. When was this, for me, not for you. (laughs) When did the Spirit of God last come upon someone in the book of Judges? It was upon Gideon. Just before Gideon was about to go into battle, the Spirit of God empowers him. He gets all the army. Guess what he should have done? He should have gone. He should have believed and trusted in God that he would win the battle with the Spirit of God behind him. But what does he do? After the Spirit of God empowers him, he says, If, God, you make this fleece wet and the ground dry, then I'll know we win. If, God, you make the fleece dry and the ground wet, not sure if that's the right way around anyway. If, God, you do it that way, then I'll know a win. And so what does Gideon do? He makes a deal with God. If, then, if, then, if, then. If you do this, then I'll do this. It's kind of like the, the genie. God, God, you do this for me, and then I'll do this for you. This is the way it works. And then guess what happens with Jephthah? The Spirit of God comes upon Jephthah. And Jephthah should have just went into the battle, but Jephthah goes... If, God, you give us the victory, then, God, I will give you the sacrifice. It's like this kind of deal with God. Do you know something? We don't need to make those kinds of deals with God. We don't need to make those kinds of promises with God. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. We don't need to have a negotiation with our God. He doesn't need to give us evidence or prove anything to us. We don't need to ask him for a fleece or or give us a sign. We don't need to make foolish promises. We don't need to make those types of promises at all. Yet sometimes we do, don't we? God, God, if I start going to church... A lot more and arrive on time and read my Bible more. God, if I start doing those things, God, will you save my children? Then will you save my children? We kind of make these deals with God. We don't have to make these deals with God. Do you know what? Listen to this. God actually loves you. God is for you and he is not against you. You don't have to make these deals with Him. He's with you. He likes you. He loves you. He's for you. You are His if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to do anything more. Imagine if Simeon came to me. And Simeon said, Daddy, Daddy, if I clean my room, and if I behave myself, And if I do all my homework, Daddy, then, Daddy, will you love me and protect me? If I do all these things, Daddy, will you love me and protect me? What should I say to him? Whether you do those things or not, Simeon, I guarantee you, I will always love you and protect you. You see, my love is not on the basis of his performance. It's not based on his performance. It's not based on his works. It's not based on his activities. I love him because I love him. I love him because he's my son. I also love my daughters because they're my daughters. They don't have to behave in a certain way. They don't have to make deals with me every day wondering if I care, wondering if I'm going to protect them, wondering if I'm going to stay beside them. So it is with you and God. You don't need to ask Him for more signs. You don't need to ask Him to do more deals. Why? He's already shown you. He sent His one and only Son to live a perfect life for you so that you could have his righteousness. He's done it all. He's showed it all to you. Jephthah did not need to make this promise. And the last question I have is this. Why did Jephthah make the promise? I think because of his rejection and his ambition. Did Jephthah need to make the promise? No, I don't think he needed to make the promise. I think the Lord would have given the victory anyway because the Lord is actually quite good at saving his people regardless of our deals. But the last question is this. Should Jephthah have followed through with it? Should he have followed through with it? And that's probably the most disturbing thing of all we need to think about. Verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home. This is after he made the promise. After he won the battle, he's probably delighted. He came to his home at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low and you have become a cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Mr. Big Mouth, Mr. Open Mouth, opened his mouth before the Lord and he feels like he cannot turn back. He feels like he cannot take back this promise that he has made. And then in verse 36, And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Open mouth, big mouth. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies and the Ammonites. Does Jephthah need to follow through with it? Jephthah thinks he needs to follow through with it. His daughter thinks he needs to follow through with it. Verse 37. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed and she and her companions wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Should he have kept his promise and his vow? He thinks so. She thinks so. Other people will try and explain away this sacrifice. They make some good arguments to just say that maybe she was just assigned to the temple because she talks about, you know, um, not having a husband. But the lament here would suggest, the crying out here would suggest, the tearing of his clothes here would suggest that they believe that he needs to make this sacrifice. To which I would say, he does not know that he does not need to make this sacrifice he has forgotten the law of his God because in the law of his God in Leviticus chapter 5 verses 4 to 6 it gives provision in Leviticus when you utter a rash vow a quick vow a foolish vow make a foolish promise it gave provision for people to make another sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, if you made a quick vow and said, I will do this, and realized I shouldn't really do that, then you could offer a sacrifice, an animal, not a person, an animal, because of that rash, quick vow that you made. But he has forgotten the word of the Lord. And so the guy who talks over and over and over and over and over again in this passage when his daughter says to him, I'm going to go away for a few months. Do you know what words he has for her? One word. Go. He should not have said that. He should not have said that. Why does he give the offering? Because I think what has happened to Jephthah is because he he is that he has become like the people he is living with that was the most dangerous thing for God's people when they didn't drive the Canaanites out of the land that they would become like them and so in the law in Deuteronomy 12 it says this the Lord says this to his people Deuteronomy 12 verse 31 you must not worship the Lord your God in their way This is really important, so do listen. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in fire as sacrifices to their gods. So the Lord sent them into the land. And the Lord said to them clearly, don't worship me like they worship their gods. Because they worship their gods by offering sacrifices to their gods and their sacrifices to their gods are their sons and their daughters and God is saying, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. But Jephthah has got so like the people that he thinks the only way to please God is to worship Him like the people do. He's become so indoctrinated and enculturated by the culture that he lives in that he behaves exactly like them and he fits right in. If we learn anything from Jephthah, I think we could learn that. Some of us, we look far too like the culture that we live in. We fit right in so that if people would look at our lives, they wouldn't see the difference between us and someone who doesn't follow the Lord Jesus, because we fit right in. There is one writer who talks about our engagement with culture like this. There is an engagement of culture that is assimilation. It's a fancy word to say that you just fit in. So Christians have a choice in relation to engaging with culture. It, the first choice is assimilation. You just fit right in. And you say, you know, I, I, I go here. You know, I had people in college who would say, I'm going to the club just so they know that I'm, you know, good with them. Like, that's the most foolish thing I've ever heard. How about you don't go to the club and they ask you Why? You see, what, what, was, what was the belief there is, if I fit right in, then I'll get an opportunity for Jesus. So I need to look like them, act like them, be like them, and that will be fine. No, assimilation is not good. The other thought he had was this, isolation. So we say, oh, I can't fit right in. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to go right away from them. We're going to ignore the whole world. We're going to go in a monastery and be like monks and, you know, like look at ourselves and read the Bible and not go out into the world at all. We will isolate ourselves. And some of us have the temptation to do that. So either we just fit totally in or we walk totally away and we think those are the two options, assimilation or isolation. But the third option could be this, recreation that we live in the world, Paul would say, and that we are not of the world. So that we would do this mad kind of idea and strategy, we would work and have our jobs and live our lives amongst and with those who don't love Jesus. That's a good thing. To know people who are not Christians, that's a good thing. They're made in the image of God. They're smart. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. They're glorious. We can learn from people. We can live in the world. But Paul said that we would not be of the world. That we would look entirely different. So that when we go into our workplace or when we go into the different areas in our world where God has put us, people would say, what the heck is wrong with her? Why does she do what she does? Why does she keep going to the Bible study, whatever that is? Why does she, you know, go to church on on Sunday morning? Why do I keep getting flyers from her? What on earth is going on? That we would be in the world and not of the world. The problem with Jephthah is he's in the world and he's of the world. And in chapter 12, do you know what he does? This is all I'm going to do on chapter 12, so forgive me. But on chapter 12, do you know what he does? He gets into another argument. Big mouth opens his mouth again. Gets into another argument with Ephraim. That's his own people. It ends up that he kills 42,000 of them. God's own people. What on earth is wrong with that guy? Do you know what messes with my head? What messes with my head is this. How on earth did that guy, Jephthah, make it into Hebrews 11? When you read Hebrews 11, the people of faith, you have a list. There's a list there of the people who faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, all these people. Guess who makes the list? Jephthah makes the list of people who trusted God by faith. And you ask yourself, how on earth did that guy make the list? But then you start looking at the list. And you look, it has David on the list. And so you say to yourself, how on earth did David make the list? The guy who slept with another man's wife, and ensured that he was killed. How did he make the list? And then you look at the rest of the list. Abraham, the guy who said, No, no, she's not my wife, you can have her. Now, once for twice, how did he make the list? And then I thought to myself if someone was to look at one of my worst days and write one of my worst days down on paper which is what, like the one book of the Bible you would not want to be in its judges because you're not getting a good day. You're getting your worst days. So if someone was to get my life and write down one of my worst days and everybody could read it for century upon century and it made the book of the Bible. Imagine how annoying that would be. Your worst days. Everybody would read it and they would say, how on earth, How on earth did Shane Dean make the list? In which I would say, by grace. That's the only way, the only way anyone makes the list. It is by grace, through faith. It is not by your works that no one can boast. It is not by our behavior. Just because we trust in Christ and believe in Him and have the Holy Spirit within us, it doesn't mean that our whole life is perfect. And so the conclusion in the book of Judges is this. Don't fix your eyes on Abimelech. Don't come out of here this morning and fix your eyes on Jephthah. In fact, in Hebrews 11, the whole point is not to fix your eyes on any of those. What does he say in chapter 12? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do they make the list? Because he is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. It's not about me and what I do and the measure of my faith. It's all about my Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, there are many more questions that we have. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people to ask those questions, to talk with each other, to learn from you and your word. And Lord, I pray that we would see this as a warning to us, that we would not make foolish promises or deals to you, that you just care for us, and that we'd learn to fix our eyes upon you always. In your name, amen.